Hey everybody, thank you for joining us for today's episode of Real Estate Disruptors. Today we got Corey Boatwright with House Kings, and he's here from Oklahoma City to share how he's closed over $100 million in transactions. A crazy, crazy number. Uh, if this is your first time tuning in, I am Steve Trang, and I train some of the uh, top wholesalers in the country, and I'm on a mission to create 100 millionaires. So one question I get all the time is how do I become one of the 100 millionaires? And let me answer it here. If you just take consistent action in the next five to seven years, you will become one. When you hear a nugget, please just type in the comment section and after the show, identify your single biggest takeaway and focus on just that for the next seven days. If you get value out of the show, please tag your friend below, share this episode right now. That way we can all grow together. You ready? I am. All right, so first question is, what got you into real estate? What got me involved with real estate? So I'm 44 right now, and I bought my first house when I was 21, and I really you didn't did know long, like more than half of your life. Yeah, wow. Yeah, um, I really didn't know what I was doing. I uh, just kind of bought one with my roommate at the time, and we lived in one side of this duplex, um, and I was we we're going to fix the other side up. And I, I literally just we just did it just to save money. wasn't from this part of like, I'm going to, you know, start flipping houses or anything. It was you just like, you weren't house hacking intentionally. I wasn't house hacking intentionally. We just lived in one side of it and then saved money on the other side. And we thought, okay, um, we'll, we'll fix this other side up and then maybe rent it out. Um, but we weren't, we weren't going to flip it or anything. So I wanted to learn how to do everything myself. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm talking about, I wanted to tile the floors. I wanted to do all the plumbing. I wanted to do, and so I did. You're very and ambitious. I was very ambitious and, and painting. And still to this day, man, I, I can, I can get paint on the ceiling in another room, you know, for somehow by me painting, I just, I cannot stand <laughs> painting. And so, but on the plumbing, we had a plumbing, we had some pipe break. And I thought, I'm gonna come in and fix this myself. I went in under the sink and, and took something off I shouldn't have. I thought I turned off one of the main, but it wasn't the main one. And water just blew up everywhere and it just soaked down everything and it just oh, ruined. I mean, I thought I probably caused another $5,000 in more repairs uh -huh. than, um, than, than was even originally there, you yeah. know? But I was just ambitious, wanting to figure it out. And I, I just learned very quickly that I'm not the person that can do that. And I can actually spend more money, you know, by me doing it myself than just having a plumber come over and do right. it. DIY is not necessarily a money saver. No, no. So 21 is when I bought my first duplex, first house. Um, it wasn't until later on that I started to get more involved with actually learning about wholesaling. I first started out as a bird dog. I was working in this, I worked a lot of different companies. I was pretty ambitious. One of my good friends um, sold his internet company at, I think he was like 24 years old and he sold it for $7 million. Still mentored to, to me this day. Wow. Um, and uh, he would just really like encourage me that there was this possibility that and it was an internet company. And so I was like, wow, I need to really start thinking about this internet thing. So man, I jumped into the internet game uh, in my 20s in a hard way. I mean, I started to, uh, make make money by watching little videos. If you remember this back in the day, it was like you watch these videos and you'd make money from watching videos, and uh, and then clicks. So I hired this guy from 
uh, overseas to build me a build me a little clicker. So it's like you you had to click this ad all the time and make sure that it was getting. So they showed that Man, you were actually watching the video way back, way back, right? And yeah. then remember GoTo.com. You remember GoTo before original Google uh, pay per click? Mm. It was called GoTo. I do not remember that. Yeah, so we're buying traffic on GoTo, and where you can get like eight cent clicks and five cent clicks. I mean, like popular terms now, like real estate. Are you talking about those big flashing banner ads? At the banner ads that yeah. flashed. I had a company that I, I, I actually had a company that was, um, uh, that, that would, that would, that would create those banners. And then we had other people that we were working with that were, we had a, a agreement with that we could run those banners on their site. Mm -hmm. And so I had, I had, that was called banner servant. I had that company for a while. I, uh, I actually sold over 10,000 Gensu knives a month how, on eBay. 10,000 Gensu knives a month on eBay. <laughs> I think my best month, no wow. kidding, was over 100 for the year. Um, so I did, you know, multiple months with 10,000 Gensu knives a month. I, uh, I bought all this. So the point up to getting up to real estate is I, I got up to this one company and I started to, um, uh, I, I kept kind of being a drop shipper, if you will, mm -hmm. and, which is basically finding a product that, um, that is popular and you don't take inventory, physical inventory of it. You have an agreement, usually as a reseller, mm -hmm. to come and then sh uh, sell it and then ship it to someone and you make the difference in between. Right. Basically, a wholesaling, yeah. you know. So if you remember Plasma Electronics, mm -hmm. so Plasma TVs, when they first came out, they were like $20,000, $30,000. I remember the first time I saw one, that's the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. Most beautiful thing, it was $16, right? $16,000, like, who's paying this much for a TV? <laughs> I got out Gensu knives because I had to sell like hundreds and hundreds of Gensu knives to make as much money as I would on a plasma TV cell. Mm -hmm. So uh, getting up to the real estate question, I'm getting there, is I had to basically build up this company for plasma TVs, grew it to several millions of dollars, and I ended up selling that company. And when I did, I started to look into what I could do with some of the proceeds, which was to get into uh, real estate. Got it. So you were doing all these other hustles yep. prior to real estate. Yes. So, and you started real estate when you were 21. Yes, got my um, first duplex when I was 21. So what I'm not hearing is college. No, yeah. Funny, I actually did go to um, a year and a half of college at mm -hmm. UCO. Um, I dropped out of high school my junior UCO, year. What is UCO? Uh, University uh, Oklahoma, University Central Oklahoma. Got it. And the only reason I went there, because I dropped out of high school whenever in my junior year, I worked at a company called Lifeline AmeriVision, and they offered a program that would put you, if you wanted to, if you just go get your GED, so I got my GED, and they would offer to pay for your basics. So that's the only reason I went to UCO. And I did, and I, I, was, I was studying marketing, and I was trying to get my basics, and I ended up actually quitting there and starting starting the company, which is the Plasma Electronics Company. Well, and the reason why I'm asking this is that you know, right now we got trying to grow our, our social media influence. We have a lot of younger TikTokers. Yeah. And the question that comes up over and over again, because it's a, it's a younger demographic, is like, should I go to college? Right. And I used to say, yeah, you should. <laughs> now I'm saying, well, I don't know. Maybe it depends. What are you trying to do? Right. And, I, and, and it, it used to be college was like, a long time ago, college wasn't that important. And now it's like, good luck getting a job without a college degree. Right. And now it's like, do you really need to go to college? 
Yeah, I don't think you do. How yeah. I, I my my stepson Nick, which is eighteen, he just started Oklahoma University, studying to be a cardiologist. Super bright kid, four point four GPA. You know, academia is his. He loves it absolutely. You know, studying to be you know a cardiologist. I would think, Steve, that I would want somebody that probably went to college for 11 years. Which you don't is want what them to side hustle that in the alleys. I don't want to have a side hustle like, yeah, I did a good job <laughs> on my own. <laughs> Here, I need to work on your heart, yeah. you know, like, um, but I do think it's, so I think it's like, you ever heard of specialized knowledge? Mm-hmm. Right. I think that whenever you look at specialized knowledge and kind of any, anything, it's always going to be kind of worth a little bit more, but at the end of the day, you know, if you're an entrepreneur and you you know that, I think it's hard to teach drive. Someone asked me this a long time ago. They go, how, can you be taught how to be driven? You don't think so, right? I don't think so, no. I don't think so either. My, ever since I was, oh gosh, I mean, in grade school, I would sell, I would do these things called, um, remember those hot toothpicks? Mm-hmm. Hot, hot, hot toothpicks. Yeah, it was like a cinnamon or mint toothpicks. Yep, I'd yeah. make different flavors and I'd sell those on the grade school and I'd love, sometimes I'd trade them for candy and then I did glitter pencils, no kidding, glitter pencils and if a girl I liked, I put her name on on the glitter pencil and give it one one for her to her for free. Yeah. But all this time, it was just hustle and I got, you know, transformers, GoBots. I started selling, trading, go, and it was just driven to be able to, there was something about the exchange mm-hmm. of bartering, bartering. You know, right? That I always just really enjoyed. How old were you when you were doing all this? I would say I probably seven or eight. Okay. Whenever I was really, you know, just starting to understand, like I really enjoy this stuff. Yeah, because I wasn't doing that until like I was in eighth grade. Yeah. So, but that's cool. So, all right. So then, you're doing plasma TVs. Yep. I saw some there also domain brokers. Was that before or after real estate? No, no, that was before real estate. I mean, okay. pretty much when I went into the real estate, it was game so, over. Yeah. Okay. So talk to me about the domain broker thing because I, I do a little bit. I, I want to say domain broker. I own a lot of domains. Okay. Right. So talk to me about like how did you get into that and what did you do? What was that about? So a friend of mine was selling domains on eBay, um, just like I was selling Gensu knives on eBay. Mm-hmm. And uh, the reason I started blowing up on eBay is because they had this thing called Dutch auction. Now I don't, I haven't been on eBay in a while to do this, but they had this thing where basically you list uh, a product, mm-hmm. and as soon as it sold, it would immediately have another one come up to be bought again. You mm-hmm. didn't have to go in there and do anything. It's called a Dutch auction. Um, so I started to do that with Ginsu knives and and charging ninety nine cents instead of the eight dollars of what most people were charging, but right. I charged like seven dollars for shipping. So I did the whole free plus shipping model in a way in the beginning. Yeah, and hustling. Um, yeah, hustling. And uh, my friend was doing kind of similar with domains. Um, he was selling like tons of domains, like listed a ton of them mm-hmm. um, for like 99 cents, but he would let them just run on auctions. And yeah. some of them, it would get up to $800, $900. Well, back then you'd pay $10 for a domain. Mm-hmm. So one sell could cover all of these. And usually on the other ones, he would at least get $5 bids or $10. So he was making money and he was making a whole lot of money on the big ones. And sometimes mm-hmm. he'd sell for several thousands of dollars. All right. So I was like, man, that sounds kind of cool. You know, I'd like to be a domain broker too. So I ended up getting over a thousand domains, you know, uh, and some of them I, I had a pretty good success on. So, but it was just another business. You know what your, what your biggest one was? I think it was yado.com. I ended up selling it to a subsidiary of Yahoo for $10,000. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. One All letter, right. one letter from Yahoo. So you, I remember. Get this duplex, running out the other side, 
You do it yourself. Yeah. Screw it up. Screw it up. Kept it or you sold it? Ended up selling it. Okay. Did you make money? I did. Awesome. Yeah. So then what was the next chapter after that? Well, after... Um, so you got 23 years on it. <laughs> I know. I know, man. So the plasma TV business, after I sold that, I got some money and I really started thinking, okay, what's the next, what's the next step? You know, one of our good friends, David Phelps says, what's your next? What's your next? Yeah. So I was like, what's my next? And I knew that real estate was something that was intriguing to me. And I made some money on that duplex, but I didn't really think like that was going to be something I was going to start pursuing so heavily because I thought you had to, I know it's going to sound really strange, but I thought I had to have some kind of degree to do it. We don't know what we don't know. What we don't know. I thought I had to have some kind of something behind my name to to be a real estate investor. Yeah, but it doesn't sound so strange. I mean, there are a lot of people in, the, in this business that think you need to be you need to have a real estate license, right? Yeah. So it's not as strange. Similar. Yeah. Similar. I thought I had to have. Yeah. So uh, what I did is I ended up every one of those. So the people that would buy those plasma TVs, you don't think they're. I mean, they have money, right? They're mm-hmm. fluent. So I'd have conversations with those people and sometimes pretty long ones. Actually, later on in life, I still had some of those that became a private lender, but uh, they would buy these $20,000 plasma TVs and I'd always ask him, what was it that led to your success? And what do you think they said? Real estate. Yes. Yeah. Nine times out of 10. It's like real estate, real estate, real estate, real estate. So I knew I needed to really look into it. So after... Uh, sold the company. What I wanted to do is then go and, um, get into real estate more. So I went on eBay. Like, I mean, I loved eBay. I I really, I literally typed in real estate investor, how to sell real estate, how to, and I just bought every course, ebook, anything that they had then to, that I could learn from. Mm -hmm. And I made a commitment to myself for one whole year, and I'm a musician, by the way, so I, I, that's a whole other thing, but I, I played no guitar idea. when I was 13 years old, played in a Christian heavy metal band, sold over 20,000 albums, uh, crazy stuff happened, played at um, Cornerstone, one of the largest Christian um, festivals in the country, and just crazy things happened through that ministry and through that time with my buddies. And so, you know, being a musician, playing guitar, music's so important to you. I vowed to not listen to any music for one whole year. And I actually did it for one year and one day. And all I did was listen to real estate, Ron Legrand, uh, listen to Tony Robbins, listen to um, Brian Tracy, listen to, I mean, just all of these old real estate guys. And I also actually was listening to the Bible too. And I just listened all the time in my car. In fact, there's times I would drive home and I think, you know what? I didn't finish this. I'm just going to drive another, I'm just turn around and drive another hour and just to come back just to listen to. So basically, even though I dropped out of high school, I feel like I have a, you know, a doctor's in, you know, I have over 10,000 hours in listening to, you know, all these different um, influencers and, Mm -hmm. you know, personal achievement guys. And and I've listened to Ronald Graham backwards and forwards. I even, when I met him, when he actually got into CG, as you I know he was in one of our groups yep. and I, and it was just like a starstruck moment. It's like, man, <laughs> you, you don't even understand. I've went through your courses. Yeah. So what I would do is I'd go through the courses. I would highlight them and then I would put them back on eBay after I was done with them and sell them often for more money <laughs> because I would say it comes with notes. 
No kidding. And so I joke around too. And I say, I literally, you know, I didn't have to pay a whole lot because I would go through the course. I'd finish it usually in a week. I usually, I mean, I was just, I didn't, I mean, I just was so hungry to learn this stuff. And I got to a place where I was confident enough where I was like, all right, I'm ready. What do I need to do? And so I found a guy that was buying and selling houses and I became a bird dog for him. Got it. And this is before or after the duplex? This is after. After duplex. Okay. So duplex, a lot of education. Yeah. And then you bird dogged. Yep. You know, and bird dogging is something that until very recently I never understood it. Yeah. Because like if you're going to find the property, why don't you just contract it yourself? Now I know why you can't contract it yourself. But until very recently I didn't understand that. Really? Well, because I thought, you know, you got contingencies, you can cancel, whatever. Yeah. But it's actually, you know, fraudulent to contract a property you can't buy. So right. bird dogs make sense now. Right. Uh, so, all right. So bird dog. And so what, who did you bird dog for? And what was that like? Yeah. So a guy named Brian, um, he owned, his dad owned actually owned a lot of real estate and he had some too. And, you know, he basically was saying, Hey man, just go out, look for a bunch of houses that have high weeds and, you know, stuff on the windows and looks like it's going to be broken into or was broken into. And let me know the address. So driving for dollars, driving for dollars. And if I end up buying it, I'll pay you 500 bucks. You know, if I end up, um, I think it's like if you give me more than three, you know, I'll pay you a thousand bucks. So I ended up doing bird dog for him and just learning, you know. But eventually I'm like, okay, what is he doing with it? Mm -hmm. And once I realized what he was doing it with it, some of those, what he would do is he would wholesale them. And that was a whole first concept I ever had of so he was wholesaling. wholesaling them. He well, flipping. Not, not all of them. Right. He was flipping some of them. He was wholesaling some of them. He's buying holdings, you know, and so he was kind of doing all of it. But I realized that the ones that he was wholesaling, you know, often he didn't have to come with the money. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait a minute. So he just wholesaled. And I think it's because I, I found another guy that bought the house from him. And I was like looking and, and, and seeing like how much he made from it. And it was like $5,000. So mm-hmm. it's like, Okay, I'm I'm making five hundred dollars. He's making five thousand dollars. You know, I was like, I just need to figure out if that's possible. I want to be on that side if possible, and if if it is, what what I need to do to get there. So, what'd you do with that information? So, um, I just dug into more real estate education and started learning everything I can about wholesaling, and uh, found out that I didn't have to have the money to go buy the house. The M buyer had the money to buy the house. Um, I had a credit line that I could take down the property if I needed to. I had my own money. I could take it down if I wanted to as well. Um, but often um, I, I wouldn't have to bring my own money. So I remember the first time that I made um, a wholesaling fee, it was like $2,500. And it was, it was that same moment that whenever I sold my first plasma TV mm-hmm. and I made like four grand. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was thinking, I have to say, how many Gensu knives do I have to sell to make $4,000 in a day? Yeah. And it was a lot. Right. <laughs> so it was that same moment. It was like, hey, I'm going to have to bird dog five deals to, you know. And so I just started thinking, I, I just need to learn more about, you know, wholesaling. Then I need to figure out a way if I can push up my fees. And so is that what you did? You jumped into wholesaling first? Yep. Jumped into wholesaling first. And then just when a did natural you, progression. When did you wholesale your first deal? Gosh, man, my first deal. It had to been, well, so in 2000, it was, it was long. It was, it was a lot of men, a lot of years later. So 
I would say I probably was, gosh, it's probably 2000 and right around 2000, probably. All right. Somewhere in there. And so you started wholesaling. What was that adventure like? Because that's a completely different market, mm-hmm. right? I mean, this is over 20 years ago. Yeah. It's a completely different business model. So mm-hmm. what was that journey like? What was that journey like? Okay. Because um, there's no pulling lists. There's no... No pulling lists. There's list. no list source. No, there's no there's list no source. Chasing. No, there's nothing like that. Right. It was just straight hustle. It was just straight driving for dollars. Mm-hmm. And instead of having to bird dog and give them, I would basically get my own leads and I found my own buyers. All right. So you drive it and then you would talk to the homeowners. That's right. Got it. Yep. Okay. And then how did you find buyers? Because Oklahoma, isn't it a non-disclosure state? No, we we can go right on to the county and see it. find out who it is. I wasn't smart enough then to do, I wasn't taking that angle then. (laughs) I was just finding people at like a RIA group. And I was back then, I think there was like, I think, Craigslist was a big one that maybe, or something like that, maybe like an online place. Um, but a lot of times just the community. I found buyers in the community. Got it. Yeah. Okay. And then after you started wholesaling, what was the next pivot in your business? <laughs> so after that, I, I, I started seeing the guys that were wholesaling um, and, and once I bought, they would go and fix them flip. Mm-hmm. So they would get these properties and fix them up and flip them. And I thought, well, that's interesting because they're making fifteen or $20,000 or more, mm-hmm. you know? So I'm like, I need to be a rehabber. I need to go and get these to fix and flip. So I started a little uh, kind of like a, like a rehab. I uh, had a couple crews working, doing, we had houses that were rehabbing. And I quickly learned, I was only in that for, I think, a year and a half. And I quickly learned that that was not what I wanted to do. You want to know why? Well, it probably goes back to that same story as the 21-year-old and bursting the pipes. Sort of. Um, one, whenever you think you're going to make $20,000 on a rehab, mm-hmm. Eastern Oklahoma at that time on a, let's say, a $40,000 or $50,000 house, um, often that was about 30% <laughs> more than that what you actually ended up netting because mm-hmm. of all the stuff that happened, timeline, you're spending more money. Mm-hmm. The other thing over was budget, over, over budget. The other thing that really made the difference though is I went into one of my jobs and there was a guy on the, there was, they, there was a um, GC and he had some subs in the back and the subs were in Oklahoma. We have, you know, it's in, a lot of Indians, mm-hmm. um, you know, Rapaho, Cherokee and all this. And we had some Indian guys that he was working with and they were drinking mouthwash on the porch, getting drunk on the back. And these were subs mm-hmm. and it was like a weekend or something like that. And he didn't know I was like going to come by and I, I came by and he was like in the living room and they were on the back porch drinking mouthwash and getting drunk. Now I know it sounds crazy, but you can actually get drunk on mouthwash. I've that never done of, it. That was kind of my next question. I've never done it, but uh, it's got a lot of alcohol in it. Yeah. That's and interesting. I think it would just, <laughs> Probably burn your throat. Like I, I can't imagine, but yeah. they were doing this, and I got so so charged emotionally that I went in and I confronted the GC, mm-hmm. and we got into a very big altercation where we like you we know, were going to basically throw throw punches, and he pulled a gun on me, and I remember I've only had two guns pulled on me in my entire life. One I worked I played I lived at a place called Potomac House Apartments in Oklahoma City, with 
during that that time with my uh, the Christian band, I wore a red hat, and the, that time it was like Crips and Bloods, and a guy approached me one time and thought I had a you know hat on that shouldn't wrong color, and he he confronted me, and mm-hmm. it was actually a band called the Crucified a Christian Band, but he thought it was a, <laughs> a a freaking gang thing. That was the first time, and then this time during my contractor, and he pointed it right at me, and I just remember thinking like. Is this worth it? Yeah. Like, do I do I enjoy? Is it really worth it to do this? Mm-hmm. Because am I going to have to go check up on all these and how much? You know, I just so I just made a decision right then and there that I wanted to get out of rehabbing. Um, plus, it really I really wasn't making as much as I thought it was. So it was a, right. it was frustrating yeah, anyway. You, you see those gross margins, those gross profits, and then you find out what the true profits are. That's right. Yeah. And so I I just kind of. Moved away from that, and I started looking into creative finance. Got it. So what was that? So I actually started to do lease options on eBay. Good old eBay again. <laughs> Went back. Lease options. Yeah. I would put on the option consideration fee as mm-hmm. the as the auction, as the eBay auction, mm-hmm. and I didn't care if I even got one bid because I just wanted somebody that agreed to making the payment mm-hmm. and sending the down. You know, sending the down. So. I started doing lease options off of eBay, and um, I ended up selling the same house four times. And in fact, I, I got very close to paying off the same house with the option consideration fee. Wow! I would sell it on eBay. Um, I would FedEx over the uh, what the whatever they agreed on, and then they would stay for like six months, eight months, a year. Mm-hmm. And I'd, they'd move out. They'd maybe you know fix a few things for sweat equity. But they weren't able to buy it, so I'd turn back around and do it again. That's so crazy because I know I still remember looking at eBay and looking at real estate, <laughs> and in my mind, every time I was like, "Who the hell is buying real estate on eBay?" I guess your clients were buying. <laughs> my real clients estate. are buying real estate. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty funny though. Yeah, yeah. So then, how did you go from all this yep. to having four hundred doors? I mean, it's. Yeah. Well, so that's with apartments on syndication, you know, so yeah. through my partners and that's actually only happened within the last five years or so. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause at some point you connected with Jason Medley who we recently had in the show. Yep. My boy, Sean Terry. Yep. Another great friend. And you got all these different relationships that you're leveraging and you got, I mean, you got nationwide influence. I mean, uh, I remember like, uh, we were talking about, you know, the OKC bill or whatever. And they're like, oh, you got to talk to Corey Butler. I was like, who's Corey Butler? And I looked you up. I was like, wow, this guy knows everybody. <laughs> so how did you make all that happen? <laughs> and then. Can yeah. I talk about it? Am I allowed to talk yeah, about it? Are you sure? Because yeah. you, are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> well, so uh, during, so about probably 2004, mm-hmm. I um, realized that there was um, an opportunity coming because um, I was seeing more and more people um, buy houses that they couldn't afford. You saw that in 2004. I, you know, at that time, people could fog a marry you can get a loan, right? right. Um, people were just spending money like crazy. Yes. And I remember um, it was, I sent out, and this time, by this time, I was sending out old yellow, ugly, ugly yellow letters. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of them, but some. And this old lady called me. And again, I had no team. It's just me picking up the phone. And she says, hey, I got your letter. 
uh, I want you to come out and, and take a look at my house and make an offer on my house. And I said, okay, well tell me about the house. And it was in uh, Edmond, Oklahoma, which is a, even now, hot, desirable area. And uh, great, great house. And she was telling me about it. And I was like, okay, I mean, there's no, there's gonna be no equity in this house, you mm-hmm. know? Sure enough, she got down to it and it was like, how much do you own the house? Like 170. Um, how much do you, um, how much do you uh, um, think it's worth? You know, one, 168, <laughs> you know, something like that. And I was like, well, there's no equity. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, but I'm an investor. And you know, the way that we, as a small business, we have to have equity. And mm-hmm. if you want a retail buyer, that's great, but it takes a little time. She's like, no, no, no. The bank said just to come out and make an offer. And I was like, okay. The bank said, she's like, yes. So, all right, I'll come out. Mm-hmm. And it, this is kind of like an old lady. So I felt kind of bad. And I was like, I, I'm just going to go out and maybe just say hi. And maybe she'll refer me somebody. So I went out and met her. And a uh, sweet old lady, gosh, she was great. And uh, the house was great. Probably, I think even better than I thought. And I thought, there's no way I'm gonna, you know. And she was like, well, can you make an offer on it? And I was like, yeah, but you're not gonna like it. Mm-hmm. She's like, just just make an offer. I think I made an offer of like, it was like 80s and something like 87,000 or 85,000. I really don't remember the number, but mm-hmm. it's something like that. Yeah, It was something low. And uh, didn't expect it was gonna hear, her, hear from her again. Like the next day, I get a call from her, and she says, "Hey, um, remember me?" Well, yeah, of course. Couldn't I mean she had a great voice, the old little old lady voice, and uh, she said, "Well, uh, you made an offer in the house." And yeah, she said, um, "Well, I've got the bank on the other line, and they want to talk to you about it." I was like, "You have the bank on the other line?" She's like, "Yeah." So okay, patch them through, mm-hmm. and the lady comes on. And she goes, can I speak to Corey in loss mitigation? <laughs> and do you never, you know, there's moments in life where it's like the, the clouds open up uh-huh. and the sun shines down and this realization, something in you just goes, oh my gosh, I, I see, I see the future. I uh-huh. see where things are going to go. And I said, this is Corey in loss mitigation. You know, not not having a loss mitigation department at all. I mean, you are the loss mitigation. I was the loss mitigation. Yeah. She said, yeah, you made an offer, of, you know, 87 or whatever, but we're not willing to accept it. Shocker. Mm-hmm. You know, she said, but we are going to, we will be accept, uh, we'll accept if you can pay us like a couple thousand more. So at those days, they were actually telling you, if you remember this, the banks would tell you what they're willing to accept. Mm-hmm. It's a lot easier. Yeah. Of course, we're talking about short sales. Mm-hmm. So um, I ended up buying that house made more money on a house that had no equity than I have in any other transaction I've ever done in my life. Wholesaling, uh, anything, uh, rehabbing, more money and had no equity. Mm-hmm. And I just remember, if I can do it once, what what would happen if I just focused on this? All right, so you gotta find more of them. I just gotta find more of them. So that changed the game. It I turned off everything else. And I just started focusing on houses that had no equity. Yeah, so this is 2004. Yeah, 2004. I didn't learn about it until like 2007. Yeah. So yeah, 2004, 2005, 2006. Yeah, huge head start. Yeah. Yeah. So, what'd you do with that information? Gosh. So, if you want to compress it, I uh, ended up getting better at it. Mm-hmm. I looked online. Nobody's really talking about it, but there's a Why thing. Would they? Yeah. There's a thing called um, Easy HUD. If you can go back and look at this, it used to be like a, it's a blog. Mm-hmm. Chris Daigle uh, ran it. Um, pretty successful investor himself. 
And uh, I was just going on there answering questions. So some people were starting to ask questions about, hey, what happens when you got like a, a first mortgage, a second mortgage? How do you get out? You know, can you create equity? And I was like, oh, yeah, I've done that. Oh, you yeah. make them compete. Oh, you get them on the line together. And, um, you know, by this time I've been, I was doing quite a few of these short sales and getting them approved. Mm -hmm. And I ended up answering, Chris Daigle just told me this one day. Um, I ended up, I, I did like 1200 posts on easyhud.com. <laughs> and so he, he contacted me and like, dude, do you want to be a moderator? Do you want to, cause you're answering all the questions. I was like, sure, that's great. So I kind of started getting a little bit of, uh, Corey's the, the short sale guy kind of mm -hmm. thing then. And then in town, in Oklahoma City, uh, we started to do uh, these little events. First it was like a Shoney's, and then it kind of got a little Western sizzling, and then it got a little bigger and bigger. And uh, Chris had me on asking, uh, have, answering questions, stuff Daigle, and then one time he said, dude, why don't you just make a course? Why don't you just make a, uh, a short sale course? Mm -hmm. And uh, I was like, I don't, I don't wanna make a course. Cause I, I mean, I, was, I remember thinking like, you mean like, like one of those guys on TV, like I really, I, he was like, yeah, he's like, I, I know, I, I bought those off eBay, you know, like mm -hmm. I didn't look at myself. I was like the reluctant guru, if you want right. to call it. And he's like, no man, if you make one, um, we'll do a webinar. And this was a brand new concept. Really, nobody was doing webinars. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, if you make one, we'll do a webinar, I think we'll do really well. So I built a course and it took me it took me every bit of six months to do it. I mean, it was over 300 pages. It was blood, sweat, and torch. It was two, not one, two massive, you know, like it's called, uh, I don't know what it's called. It's called uh, lumpy mail or whatever. Two huge things of uh, um, binders mm -hmm. with CDs and DVDs, right? And it's called Short Sale Fundamentals. That course went on to sell over 2,500 courses. Uh, we charged... Uh, $1,500 for the course in the beginning. And then we ended up getting down to, I think around 800 bucks. We did a webinar with Chris and on one webinar, we ended up selling over $50,000 on in an hour and a half. Wow. And I just remember thinking that this is going to be the way of the future of courses and, 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 and education and, and, and all of that. And uh, sure enough, it was, there was another event came out called VIS, virtual investing seminar. If you remember mm -hmm. this or not, mm -mm. And then it's virtual investing seminar too. And basically it was the idea that real estate is gonna be moving more to the internet. We're gonna be going to the internet to find, instead of realtors, you're gonna be going to the internet first to look for deals, to find information. And- um, Sounds about right. That's about right. And yeah. so that's what I did. I, I just started to focus all on short sales. And then I thought, you know, I'm doing these deals. It makes sense to have a loss mitigation company. Finally, Corey. Finally. At loss mitigation. <laughs> Finally, I got, by the way, whenever I talked to my attorney, I said, what's it take for me to have a loss mitigation department? He goes, a stroke of a pen. Yeah. That was kind of fun. And that's how you connected with Jason. That's right. So Medley and I met, love Medley. Um, and actually I knew him before Collective Genius. He had this thing called iVisionary. And a uh, funny story, if he's listening to it, he'll laugh. But, um, you know, I didn't know this, but he had to tell me later. And uh, he basically bought, he bought a short sale fundamentals course. Mm -hmm. He actually went through it uh, and did a deal, made over 30 G's on it. And when we met each other, he was going to basically say, hey, I was one of your, I'm gonna be your testimonial. Mm -hmm. um, but really he wanted to work together to transactional fund some of our, our clients and some people were building up. Right. But it's funny, when we met each other, uh, it was it was like he's gonna be a testimonial. He's trying to leverage your list <laughs> to sell his services. 
this thing called short cellology, man. Yeah. That was that was my so I started building short cellology and building a huge email list. Mm-hmm. You know, building emails and emails and emails, and, and Medley was doing the same thing with iVisionary. So it sounds like he was trying to do with you what I do now with Collective Genius. Exactly. Right, leverage your database. <laughs> leverage the database. <laughs> I mean, all for that, good reasons. I well, mean, all for good reasons, right? Yeah, yeah all for um, good reasons. But that's that's just funny. That that's Isn't that funny? How that all worked together. Yeah. And then along the way, you met Sean Terry. Yeah. So Sean, I met at I want to say it's at Preston Ely back in the day. Preston, um, he had a thing called uh, Freedom Soft. Mm-hmm. Now Rob bought that uh, Swanson, um, and he's done a lot of things since. But um, he had Freedom Soft, and, and Preston was uh, doing a big event. It's his first event. Actually, I met Preston Ely, though, at Virtual Investing Seminar. But anyway, so I met Sean at uh, Preston's first event in, I want to say it was in San Diego. Mm-hmm. And Tham Merrill was out there and, and did the fulfillment, the back end of coaching on that event. But Sean and I met, and I always I was hearing more about Sean about doing a, a podcast. He was just kind of doing these podcasts. Mm-hmm. And um, I had a I had a $100,000 uh, consulting program called a 52-week apprentice program. And... He was like, I've never done a six-figure consulting. You know, how would you? Let's talk about that on the podcast. Yeah. So if you go back and listen to the podcast, you can hear that. Back that's in like how 2009. We yeah. It's, and it's it's crazy, man, uh, how things just the, the history. So you and I had a conversation a while ago, um, and we we're talking about coaching and six-figure yeah. coaching. Yeah. Right. Um, I get people ask me all the time, "Can you coach me?" And it's like. Well, yeah, if the price is right, I can coach you, right? Right. But it's always group coaching. They're like, no, I want one on one. It's like, I don't have time for one on one. Right. Right. If you want coaching, it's gonna gotta be it's gotta be group coaching. Right. And they're like, no, it's gotta be one on one. And I said, well, I mean, if it's gonna be one on one, it's gonna be a number you don't want to pay. It's like, well, what is it? It's like, it's a hundred thousand. And to this day, I've not gotten that. <laughs> uh, but I asked. You're around. worth it. You're worth it. Well, I appreciate that. But I asked around, and you've done it. Yes. All right. So here's the question I have. Sure. Is because uh, I actually talked to Tom Kroll about this. Yeah. Talked to Jack Bosch about this. Yeah. Right. I don't question whether we're worth it. Right. Right. What I question is, can we deliver enough? And actually, who else have I talked to about this? Uh, Jason Boozy. Mm-hmm. Right. Can you do this in a situation where it makes sense for both parties, um, and there's not too much burden, um, I guess, on on both parties. Right. So expand on that. So it was, for me, it was hard. It was a mindset thing. Mm-hmm. Like I was getting, you know, certain dollar amounts for certain things. And then I just got to a place where, um, you know, like you, you start considering what your time is and what you're doing. And, you know, and I thought, you know, what would happen if I just basically sent out something to my list that said, I'm thinking about, offering this program and mm-hmm. it's going to be ridiculously expensive. And I think who I learned this from was Frank Kern. I, I want to say I learned it from so Frank. Say it sounds like Dan Kennedy, but Kennedy Frank Kern, Frank, it does a good job one, of One of, of those two, away. Frank or Ken, it yeah. wasn't called John Carlton. I think it was Frank. Definitely sounds like Frank Kern thing. Yeah. And I just got out of a, a program with Evan Pagan um, called, um, I think it was called Get Altitude or something. And basically that was a $10,000 person that went to, were you at that event? I was not that, but Evan person or Evan Pagan, I mean, he's renowned. He's, he's had some great programs. Oh yeah. He's one of the incredible. So yeah. I was in his mastermind group. He actually, we did an interview together. And for Evan those of you guys that don't know what we're talking smart. about, 
Corey and I are geeking out about information marketing right now. <laughs> Completely different in real estate, but relevant to this conversation. Get on YouTube and look at Evan Payton. Yeah, I mean, that guy's incredible. So yeah. he was running a $80 million business from virtual assistants. He literally just had tons of virtual assistants. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, he's, he's an organizational master and all this other stuff. But he had a program in mean, Get Altitude, and he charged $10,000 a head mm-hmm. to come. And I think it was just like, why, why don't you just put it out there and see who would be interested? And I did not think that anybody would be. Mm-hmm. So I was on your, I was like, why would, why would it, somebody want to do that? And then I had to start thinking about well, if they said yes, how am I going to deliver value? What, mm-hmm. how, what am I going to do? So I came up with a 52 week apprentice program. So one week, one hour, every week for 52 weeks. Mm-hmm. Now, if you miss it, it's on you. If I miss it, then I'll make sure you get it. But if you miss it, we're not, it's on you. So mm-hmm. it's a discipline thing. It's also a filtered out thing. So where you're not taking on just anybody that can write a check. Mm-hmm. Usually they're at a $50,000 check now and then 4166 for the next 12 months, basically. But they, uh, so what I did is I sent it out and I said, this is going to be ridiculously expensive, pushing back, right? And I got like five people to apply. Mm-hmm. And then out of that five, I ended up accepting, I think, two. Yeah. Yeah. And so... How, so the question basically is, what are you going to do to deliver the value? Well, you. the funny thing is, we, we just had a conversation about a year, not listening to music, but listening to um, coaching, listening to real estate and personal development and all these other things, right? Mm-hmm. That's well, I mean, it's, it's over 10,000 hours. You know, we don't think about what value that we actually have. Mm-hmm. To, to deliver. And we don't think about what that's worth to another person. Right. Um, and the right person uh, will... So I'll just say it like this. Some people have more money than they do time. Mm-hmm. They won't buy... They didn't buy any of your courses before. Not the $500, not the $1,000, not the whatever, $1,500. They didn't go to your boot camp or anything. But all of a sudden, you say, it's going to be you and I, and we're going to be talking once a week for 52 weeks Mm -hmm. that resonates with them yeah well the guy that values their 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 time or the money and because i actually had my around the same time too i was talking to brandon simmons and he was like dude you don't know the guy that just sold out of his tech company he's got three million exactly and he's got time he doesn't know what to do with it i have the avatar too it's someone that usually has some type of inheritance Mm -hmm. they did or they sold a company or um, uh, insurance. They had some insurance, which is kind of kind of like an heirs. And it's like they Brian have Higgins. more money than they have time. Yeah. Well, but Brian, he was on the show uh, a, month or two, a month or two ago, right? I'm tired of insurance. This sucks. <laughs> Get cool me guy. into real estate. And Brian's cool. Yeah. He's an incredible guy. Yeah. All right. Smart guy, too. Both so, those guys, Brian and Alex. So I don't know how long ago, but it seems like it wasn't that long ago. You went nationwide. Yeah, November of last year. I'll tell you how long ago. <laughs> so it wasn't long ago at all. <laughs> no, not at all. All right. Yeah. Walk me through this process. What was the thought process? Like, you're an OKC. You're yeah. doing well. Yeah. Not doing well. You're doing incredibly well. And like, you Relative know what? To, yeah. Let's just go nationwide. Yeah. Sean Terry, another good friend of mine, obviously a business partner in the apartments. Yeah. Um, and Sean, was- if you're listening, get off my YouTube ads. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, uh, Sean had mentioned that he was doing some virtual things. Uh, it's working out pretty well. Mm-hmm. And remember COVID March 20, um, a lot of changes happening. 
you know, few things change. Uncertainty. Yeah. What's what's going to happen now? You can't go and remember in Oklahoma, it's just a good old boy. So you go meet the people and you sit, look them in the eye, shake their hand. You know, now we got to move to a primarily virtual model to continue going. Mm-hmm. So because of that, I thought, well, if we're going to if we're just doing it virtually now for for a period of time, what would stop us from just doing it in another state? Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't want to recreate the will. I didn't want to do those things. So Sean and I had a conversation. I just found out some of the tools, some of the things he's using, some of the way he's doing it. And uh, Nick Perry, another guy that um, another monster has been on the show. Monster, yeah. What's up, Nick? He um, he's also doing the virtual model. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think now Corey Gary, which worked with Sean, is probably doing it as well. Another monster. Um, but really, we just wanted to see, you know, what would it look like um, to do the virtual model outside of Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And the other side of it was in Oklahoma, our spreads have gone up. You know. 9,000, 10,000, 11,000, 12, that we're over 12,000 now on our average deal size. And talking about the, the wire from the comp, from the title company. And I started seeing some of these spreads that were in North Carolina, South Carolina, Washington, mm-hmm. Maryland. Oh, for sure, Washington. Maryland. Um, Utah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Las Vegas, Arizona. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's 12,000 times four, five, six, mm-hmm. sometimes even more than that. Yeah. That was intriguing to me. You know, Sean's like, man, we're going to close on this deal, make 100. And I was like, I've never, <laughs> and I've been doing it for a while now. I've never made over, you know, a hundred and something thousand dollars on one, on one wholesale deal. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, I, I got to just figure this out. It can't be that hard. And uh, yeah, so we went uh, November. We had to bring on another two acquisition people, a full-time salesperson, um, trans, or a lead manager, which has been instrumental. And uh, we, we've done pretty well so far, and I'm continuing to, to learn. And I really like the model because you can be anywhere, literally, mm-hmm. to do it. You need to have a good team. That's very important, but you can be anywhere. And... Yeah. So, so going nationwide, it's got to be heavy PPC. Almost all PPC. Got now, it. what we do is we do PPC, and then we drop a little bit of mail in in some hot, kind of hot spots. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So, like ninety nine percent PPC. Yes. One percent direct mail. Lead comes in. Probably ninety five and five percent mail. Yeah. All right. So lead comes in. Yep. Generally, calling or web form. Yes. Mm-hmm. But which which one is it more? Usually, usually or is it about fifty fifty. Probably, mm, probably more web form than this okay. call. Yeah. So web form comes in. Yeah. Goes to VA. Goes to the lead manager. Goes to the lead manager. I'm telling you, the lead manager part is so important. Okay. It, and it's, the reason is is not only because they're the first person that they, the person talks to, but like as opposed to just going to like Pat Live or another um, the worst thing you could possibly Well. You know, it isn't actually, you can still do deals that way. You're just losing a lot of opportunity and you're also wasting your team's time. You need slippage. Slippage. Yeah. So now what we do is we have a process when it comes in, it has to pass these filters in order to green light to be assigned to an, an acquisition manager. Got it. And that has saved so much time because before we would just have it go to a lead that came in, mm-hmm. they'd have to get on the lead. 
mm-hmm. you know, build the rapport and this and that. And you don't even know if that lead is really worthy of spending the time to, to get every on top it. salespeople. Gotcha. So lead manager, very good in-house acquisition. Yeah. Uh, virtually, obviously, mm-hmm. um, or at least they're in OKC. So lock them up. Lock them up. How's the disposition? You know, it's pretty cool. Um, we have been uh, two ways, okay, two ways. One is going to realtor.com, finding the best agents mm-hmm. and saying, listen, got a house, you got any buyers? No, I don't. Oh, well, Susie, which is the one that's right below her on realtor.com, and I guarantee <laughs> they know each other. I think she might have one. Susie? <laughs> you're, sorry. You're sorry. a bastard. <laughs> so, well, let me, let me see. I'll get back with you. Uh, so that's one way. Um, <laughs> the other way is using a company called Brokerless. Yeah. And they're a nationwide um, flat fee MLS service. Mm-hmm. And there's other ones, flat MLS yeah. and things. Charge 200 bucks and you can actually get the property on MLS. Now, here's what's interesting. There's some states... I know people listen to this right now, especially agents or brokerages. You cannot list property that you don't own on MLS. Some states actually say as long as it's in your agreement, then you have you're okay to do it. Mm-hmm. Other states say you need to have the listing signed by the homeowner. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, Oklahoma and Texas. Oklahoma, Texas. <laughs> um, but the interesting thing is if you're able to, and this isn't just you know, I'm not a, I'm not an attorney, so but I've talked to several attorneys and I don't like the word no one attorney said you can't do it one attorney actually says illegal and I said show me case law mm-hmm. he couldn't do it the other one said well it's frowned upon I was like I'm perfect with frowned upon <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm fine with frowned upon can you're not we a do rule it? follower yeah can we do it yeah, yeah entrepreneurs they're not rule followers <laughs> typically so uh, we found out a way to do it and then um, we've had some success doing that um, because obviously the market right now is super hot. Yeah. And everybody's, there's a shortage of inventory. If you're, if you are good at marketing, I mean, if you spend the time to learn marketing, you will always, I feel like you will always be successful. Yeah. There's, there's, there's people that cannot stand to market. And then really? there's people that love, yeah, I know, right? I, I love to market, right? <laughs> marketing is the fun part. It is, but there's some people that can't stand to do it. Really? All yeah, right. but they guess what? They want to work with you because mm-hmm. you can't. So, in fact, in for the last, and we've we've had probably almost a four year go. Another mm-hmm. company in Oklahoma City, good friends, uh, known a long time. They had a, a cool company. They were doing pretty well in the operation side, but they just really didn't have much of the budget to market and didn't really know how to market well. Mm-hmm. We ended up working together, JVing together. Said. I'll spend all the money in the marketing. You run the operations. We'll, we'll we'll split the deal. For the last almost four years, that's what we've been doing, and so we've had a lot of success with that. And also, that's actually another reason for the for the virtual model for mm-hmm. the national wholesaling, because their their kind of partnership broke up in June of uh, 2020. So remember that that that. Money has been coming in. Now I hadn't spend the money, but mm-hmm. the money's been coming in without having to really go out there and do the operation side. Yeah, and it helped both of us. But now that they split up, you know, it's now good, now that's now it's going away. You know, that's a good percentage of money. So that was another thing I needed to do to fill that gap. So how's 
how many are you doing monthly to nationally? And then what does that equate to as far as revenue? Yeah. So we're, we have, so one, one vision for the, for the team is a hundred thousand dollar net weeks nationally. That's the vision. Mm-hmm. We are not there. <laughs> um, we just, uh, we're right now, uh, we're just, we're just, I mean, we're on national right now. We're, we're probably, uh, maybe a hundred thousand dollars a month right now. Got it. But we're, we're, we're learning things mm-hmm. and we're getting better. Yeah. Now what's interesting. That's now, right. Mm-hmm. That was actually pretty good for, for Oklahoma. Right. But mm-hmm. I see the national thing going so much faster, quick, fast. Right. Well, I mean, you see Nick raising 300 K a month. Yeah. And I don't, I don't actually see it. It's not that hard. I mean, once you put the things in place, it's not hard to get there. I mean, it's right. a math game. Right. You spend more money in marketing. You're going to get more deals. Well, that's what's great about marketing. It's direct response marketing. As long as you know how to market and you don't waste money. Yeah. Because you can waste a lot on the other thing you too on PPC. I know a little bit. Sean knows a whole lot more, but we also have a good PPC team mm-hmm. that you have to be on it daily. Yeah. I just I I just told Nick. I said Nick. I figured out something. Nick Perry. Um, I want you to see something, and I hope you don't get upset about it. He's like, what? I was like. I think I spent like $12,000 on India. <laughs> and he was like, what? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, oh, my guys take care of that. I was like, okay, but if they didn't, here's a screen. Here's here's what I did. Here's what I was shown. I actually got a Google rep mm-hmm. to show me this. So it wasn't, I wasn't that smart. The Google rep said, do you realize you're spending money in South Africa and India? And, and I was like, no, I didn't. But it wasn't just on uh, excluding. It wasn't that, which everybody thinks, I'll just exclude it. No. There's a th- other part of it that's a that's a, called a matched distance thing or something along those lines. And anyway, you have to go get that off there. Yeah. Well, so anybody does PPC right now, it, you may be be spending you might be spending th- tens of thousand dollars on India and South Africa and other countries, and it's just waste. I don't know. There's the same thing, but there's excluding, mm-hmm. right? And it's also including, and including is people that you think might be looking in your market, <laughs> and that's what I'm guessing is what you're talking about. Um, people that are looking in your market when who the hell knows how Google's figured out what they may be looking in your market. Yeah. This Google rep, which obviously works, obviously is very smart with Google. They, they pointed it out and I was sick in my stomach. Well, at least they told you now versus a year from now. Absolutely. Um, so what do you target? If you're doing nationwide, what is it that you're targeting on pay-per-click? We work with a nationwide, uh, title company, um, which, in Oklahoma, we work with Lincoln Title. They're amazing. Um, but nationwide is a different story. So oh, we work with a company called Close Line Title. And they close in like 35, 37 states. I think they're kind of adding some. And they don't do it in Texas. They don't do it in California. Fidelity is in California. Um, but, you know, so we're kind of targeting those states that they want to close in. Yeah. We're, we're excluding right now Illinois, even though we get some leads still in from Illinois, North Dakota, South Dakota, West Virginia, just because of certain... It's harder to my question is like because you know with Chris Chico right yep. he talks about on Facebook you just target the whole state whole like, state yeah. you just forget city forget distance forget mm-hmm. age like just just the state just target the state yeah is that what you guys are doing no okay so what is your strategy on we PPC? find hot markets and yeah. we go through and look at cash transactions mm-hmm. and uh, look at heat maps that are in those particular areas and. Um, put a, put a, put a bigger emphasis on those. Gotcha. Um, and then whenever we get like Midland, Texas, for example, or 
McKinney, Texas, or um, you know, one we just closed in um, in um, Gaston, Alabama. Where, where is Gaston, Alabama? No oh, idea. Yeah. But pretty hot market for cash buyers are coming in, and you wouldn't know that unless you know you work with an agent that says send me a list that your, all your cash transactions. So yeah. you've got to have a strategy on where you're targeting that is going to give you a better bang for your buck, and then once you identify where that is, that's when you can also go kind of all, not all in, but go deeper with dropping put, some Put mail. more chips in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. So, cause I love seeing your random posts of like, who has a buyer <laughs> in some city, Hawaii? Yes. Who's got a buyer Hawaii's in some hot. city, North Carolina? We got a deal in Juneau, Juneau, Alaska. You wouldn't believe it. There's a hot, hot market in Juneau. Oh, I believe Alaska. it. I just love your seeing your posts. Just a random post from Corey Boat, right? <laughs> who has a buyer in some city that I've never heard of? <laughs> You know, it's funny. I'll, I'll also post on there um, uh, if you have, if you're buying in, um, you know, uh, just a state. You know, if you're buying anywhere in um, North North Carolina right now, send me a DM on the county that you focus in, and I may be able to give you a lead. Yeah. So what you happens from that is you get these top buyers. You know, these cash buyers, they're sending these things in. Now, here's what's interesting. I'm not typically selling to those cash buyers, mm-hmm. right? Because I'm first seeing if I can get a retail buyer, right? which is off the, the MLS or realtor.com. Mm-hmm. But you always want to have that person that will that you know will buy it real quick. Mm-hmm. So I like to have kind of both sides. Right. And right now, quite frankly, you can just sell houses at the top of the market. Anything that comes in right now through Colorado, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just you'll get 50 offers in one day and a thirty or forty thousand dollars over asking price. Jason Rother was just—I uh, was talking to him yesterday. He's in Austin, Texas. So oh I'm talking about God. all the California buyers coming uh, to Austin. He's Hot like market. hundred thousand over Zillow. Like if it's <laughs> ridiculous. If it, the way he's comping properties right now, or not comping, pricing the solid properties, right? Hundred thousand over Zillow. How do you compete? <laughs> How do you, and, and, oh, and he also said there's a disclaimer for no uh, appraisal contingency. Oh, waive all appraisal. Well, it's California. They're just used a to it. A waiver. Waiver, yeah. But they're used to that in California. Okay. Um, but speaking uh, of senior posts, one of the things that I always enjoy is just your, your, your random posts that have to do with just about anything. Yeah. Not even real estate. Bitcoin, just like, whatever. Check this out. Yeah. So you're obviously very fascinated with kind of like, I don't know, Leading edge. I'm not sure if leading edge is the right word, but you're, al- you're always Relevance. looking down the road. Relevance. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So talk about that. And future pacing and, and you know. Um yeah, I think that's important. Um to be able to be relevant and um, you know, I'm, I'm I like to be a little bit of a futurist. Mm-hmm. Um I like to see kind of where things are are going. Uh what do they say, Wayne, Wayne Gretzky skate where the puck's going, not mm-hmm. where it is, right? Right. Um and, and also just to to build um, that level of not just relevance with your audience, but just just in general of being able to not post everything always real estate mm-hmm. has an element that you're that you're not just you know you're not just like people tend to elevate like you you may not know it or not but people elevate you they put you on a on a on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. It puts you because you have a thought platform. Got it. So, if all you start doing is talking about you know your coaching, your your salespeople, and you all you're doing is that, right? Mm-hmm. 
then they think, oh my God, that's, if I don't talk about coaching or my salespeople, or if I don't have anything to, you know, to contribute, they don't, they don't look at you like you're just a regular person. Right. But when you post pictures with your family and your kids mm -hmm. and your, your, you know, those things and make people laugh and, you know, you post those, um, you know, those, uh, those not you know, sayings and, and, and it makes people go, oh, Steve's a real person. Right. And I can relate. So I guess the word would be, I'm looking at being relatable. Yeah. Well, I love reading it because then I don't have to do the research. Like Corey is like my go-to guy for like, well, here's what's coming down the pike. So here's what's coming down the road. But I think also it kind of relates to, cause I, I, I was having a little fun at your expense right, over the weekend where I was looking at your phone. I was like, holy crap. <laughs> Right, and I took a picture of it and I posted it on Facebook, and there was so much anxiety from so many. Where's, it? Where's the camera? Just right there. <laughs> it's all organized, <laughs> right? And that was a joke. I was like, it was just like when your mom cleaned your room when you were younger. Like, mom, where'd you put it? Like, it was so. It was. I, I had a place for it. Like, no, your room was messed. Like, I know, but there was a place for it. It was organized. So about half of the apps on my phone. Yeah. Uh, we're from a mobile app business as a part of uh, game apps and, and I was helping consult marketing for them and I had to download um, a lot of apps. And so I got half of them on there. But then, you know, I just ended up having folders and just seeing, yeah. So it doesn't bother me that much. It's weird when people see it, I'm just so blind to it. They're like, a post did get a lot of uh, comments. That there was were, funny. I mean, there were a lot of people that needed some anxiety. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, we, were, we touched on it a moment ago, but we didn't really get uh, too in depth into it. You mentioned syndication. Yeah. For those of the people that are listening, because we have a broad range of listeners. Okay. What is syndication? So syndication is pretty cool. It's basically where you will, you know, find some kind of asset that you're trying to raise money on. And instead of, let's just use $5 million. So you're going to buy this $5 million apartment complex. Mm -hmm. And this was an aha moment for me too, learning about apartments. You're like, well, how, where am I going to come up with 5 million bucks? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't have it. Um, what's cool is that a bank will loan usually about 70 to 80% mm -hmm. on that if it's a good asset. So think about that. Like you can buy a you can buy a $5 million apartment complex. Now, again, people, if some of you listening, you're like, this, this might be basic word, but this was an aha moment for me. You can buy a $5 million apartment complex and the bank is gonna bring you 3.5 to $4 million. So mm -hmm. all you have to do is raise 1.5 or a million dollars. Right. I don't have that either. Oh, okay. Well, what do you do? You can syndicate. Mm -hmm. You can create basically that 1.5, or let's just use that 1 million if the bank's gonna bring 80%. And, uh, no, let's use 1.5. The bank's gonna bring uh, 70% and there's 1.5 you're raising. You can look at that 1.5 and divide it up as your 100%. Mm -hmm. And you can say, I'm going to split 70% and then 30%. 70% can be for LP, limited partners, and 30% can be for your GP, general partners. Where general partners get equity, LP usually just gets, you know, pref mm -hmm. and return IRR. So a syndication basically, if you do a 506C has accredited investors only, and a 506B can be non-accredited investors up to a certain um, a certain amount. You can have a certain amount of credit investor, but you can also have unaccredited investor, which is kind of like your mom and pop. Right. Now, again, I'm not an attorney, so, you know, but you cannot really generally purpose advertise for 506B versus you can, my understanding, on 506C. 
yeah. until they make some of these changes. So point of syndication is you can raise that other 1.5 million by bringing other investors in and giving them a piece of it mm -hmm. based on the pref and, and also getting a return on their money. So they might put in 50 grand, 100 grand. Well, now guess what? Now all you need is 15 people giving you 15, or giving you, uh, now all you need is a 15 people giving you $100,000. Right. Well, you don't even need that because you've probably got another 30% over here. So now you only need like maybe 10 people giving you $100,000. And that's called syndication. So you're gonna buy it with your investors mm -hmm. and then you're going to grow it usually you know, over a three to five year period of hold. And if you're buying it where it's non-performing, there's more risk, but there's usually greater upside. Right. If you're buying it performing, which is what I've done on, on my two, um, it's not gonna be as much upside, but it's gonna be better, it's gonna be a little bit more, it's gonna be less risky because you already got money as taking care of the debt, right. the debt service. You're already getting a service, right. But it's pretty exciting because you can buy something at a higher cap, sell it at a lower cap, and make millions of dollars. And the cool thing is you can also do a cost seg, which I've done, and you could actually make a lot of money but have a negative K1, mm -hmm. you know, which is really cool. Right, I was talking to Mike Moulton about that. Mike's a great guy. Yeah, because I was complaining to him about my tax situation. I was like, oh, you should just go put 100000 in this syndication. I was like, oh, that's all I have to do? <laughs> Marcus Krigler does our apartments, um, yeah. and he's, he's amazing. He's one of the best there is when it comes to knowing exactly what you need to do with your money, yeah. especially with apartments. Um, not just apartments, but single family too, but just well, investing. I was talking to him, it's like, you need to get into mobile home de uh, development. There you go. There, like, I mean, he just has these different insights because yeah, like he can, can just, see the bigger picture of all these different investors. He was telling me you can do 80% of the acquisition on a mobile home person. Oh man. Uh, so mm -hmm. I got, you know, just hypothetically, right? We're in this podcast studio in this building I'm, I'm leasing. Yeah. And it's for sale right now for like 5.8. Okay. So all I need to do you is can, go raise 30% of that. That's like, well, almost two mil. Yeah. And then the bank will finance the rest. Yep. That's a syndication. Yeah. And that's cool about that, man, is that, you might have a higher loan for just like a couple of years, mm -hmm. if, especially if, but this is gonna be performing. So right. you'll actually get a, you can get better uh, lending, better, better, better opportunity on lending, lower rates sooner than someone that has a non-performing that's having to pay, you know, eight, 8%, 7% for two years, and then they change around and refinance it. Right. Pull money out tax-free, let me say that again, Pool money out, tax-free refinance proceeds mm -hmm. are not income. It's not taxable income. Not taxable income. It's almost, it feels almost like free money. It feels like free money. And we all have a business partner, a silent business partner, and that is Uncle Sam. If you look at all your expenses, even higher than pay-per-click, mm -hmm. it's Uncle Sam. Yeah, you got to figure out a way to utilize the opportunity for tax code. And I'm not the, I'm not an expert at it, but I know people that are experts mm -hmm. and they can, they can help you essentially be smarter and not have to pay as much yeah. money on taxes. It's not massaging. It's not cheating. It's taking advantage of the tax code written by wealthier people than us to benefit them. And we're just using those same exact laws. Go on the IRS website and it actually encourages you mm -hmm. to start an LLC to pay less taxes. Does it? It does. Yeah. Crazy. But just yeah. most people don't realize just starting a single member LLC and it's just by that itself, it doesn't 
take much for you to do it. Maybe mm-hmm. five hundred, a thousand dollars, some places, but usually less than a thousand. Just doing that alone can change the game for you. Yeah, expenses can be written off. You pay less money, I and mean, it's just game changer. So going nationwide, mm-hmm. what what is your monthly marketing overhead? Nationwide right now, we're at with all fixed expenses and everything around forty thousand a month. It's hefty. Yeah. And then what is your total monthly expenses between everything? Everything. Um, we're at six hundred and I think it's about six hundred twenty. Or um, yearly? I'm oh, sorry. So that's probably fifty. Fifty monthly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a little, it's a little rough, but you're closing deals. Closing deals. Yeah. Uh, so for you and your business, is there anything like if this went away, you'd be freaking out, whether it's a tool, uh, CRM, something, a system process, I mean, we're hearing texting is kind of going some interesting direction. Yeah. What is something for you? Like, man, like I can't live without this. Pay-per-click. <laughs> so right now, like you, if you don't, I mean, paper, because direct mail has, has been harder and harder. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we, we were doing 50,000 pieces of mail for months and months. I mean, for years, I'm sorry, years and years. And uh, just in Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. And whenever that started drying up, especially during um, COVID, I mean, you have to find a, a source that will give you, you can turn the faucet on, turn it off. People mm-hmm. don't realize that Google is smarter than you. <laughs> yeah. Facebook is smarter than you. You know, you can go down to the county and get... Um, you know, try to get these lease uh, tax liens and, and you can get your list there. That's fine. You can go on list source. You can, you can do cool creative things there. You can go on prop stream and get lists there. Um, you know, you can listability, you know, Adam data. I mean, the list goes on a lot. You can get all these different lists, you know, but none of it is going to be as good as paperclip. Yeah. Not in terms of how targeted that they can bring somebody. Well, you got someone that says, I want to sell my house now. Right now. Right. You got someone that's super motivated. Yeah. So I guess a follow-up question then for you in those other markets is, do you have people, like, are you in less competitive markets? Because, like, Phoenix. Yeah. There's a few people that are on Google right now. A for- lot. <laughs> yeah, a lot. So, so you're yeah. in Phoenix. No. Yeah. So kind of tertiary or tertiary markets. Tertiary markets, yeah. I say, right? It tends to be a little bit better opportunity got it yeah. what keeps you going right now what is your why what is my why my why is am I what do I wake up every day and I'm excited about the next day mm-hmm. and my why has to do with man it's gonna sound weird but there's some, you know what? It was in it was in that presentation that we saw. Some people want to want to um, get as big and and just and, and freaking just swing for the fences and knock home runs, you know. And and they want to do that in their business. They want to grow huge business, mm-hmm. right? Um, but I don't think you have to. No, you don't. Because I knew a guy that was running. Um, a $10 million a year business and he was netting $500,000 here. And he was running $10 million on this mini blind business. And I was thinking like, 
Couldn't you run a $3 million business and make 500000 Absolutely could. Could I run a $2 million business and make 500000 I think sometimes we get so excited about building the skyscraper. Mm-hmm. You know, because in grandeur, when we were building, remember Lincoln Logs? Do you remember Lincoln Logs? Yeah, kindergarten. Remember Lincoln yeah. Building? You, higher, you know, you go up and you, you try to get, I think we get excited about um, building something so big but we forget about why we're doing it. Mm-hmm. And so my why has to do with, I, um, in, uh, at the end of 2012, I was, um, this is, in 2012, a buddy of mine, John Cochran and I, we, were, we went through some incredibly heavy things in my life. I don't think I've told you the story, man. Um, you know, I grew up in... Um, I grew up in Oklahoma, and it's the Bible Belt, and I've been a Christian for a big part of my life, and been a part, in, big part of my life. But um, I was, I was, uh, I was. Whenever I was selling those courses and uh, short sale courses, and I was building this business, I even talk about the software company we had. We had a pretty good sized software company too for short sales, and I was on the road just. You know, going through stages and selling. I was good at selling, loved selling, but I uh, I neglected my wife, and uh, that ended up costing my marriage. And I was going through a um, I went through a pretty heavy time. I had quite a few rentals uh, at that point. In fact, my uh, I didn't have a re- quote of retirement, so I, my retirement was what I call wallet houses, and so I had some houses that were paid free and clear. Well, when I ended up getting divorced. I got all my assets cut in half and it, it, it nearly killed me. I mean, nearly, it nearly took me out. Um, not, not like suicidal, but like my, my attorney said, man, you should just declare bankruptcy and just start over. I didn't, but, um, so I was, so I just thought that, you know, as long as I go make money, I'll take care because I don't have the college education to fall back on. And so I just got to go make it happen. Mm-hmm. During that time, I was also at my church help, helping lead praise and worship. And uh, our pastor married my wife and I. He was caught in a scandal between him and another guy um, swapping their, their partners. And I was at this church for several years, and um, you know, uh, this was happening when I found out that he was also counseling us when we were going through our divorce. So you have to under, understand, like, I'm a, there's things happening in my company. My, I'm getting a divorce, and on top of that, my business partner. This is like the. This is not even the cherry on top. My business partner which I should have done a better job. <laughs> I should have done a better job of due diligence on a business partner, but he was very good on having the operation stuff lined up and I was very good on the marketing. I knew I could bring customers, he could run it in the back end. And he's done this stuff for a while and so I thought he's gonna be a good partner. But anyway, my business partner and I were splitting up on this short sale business. Um, so I'm losing my business, I'm losing my marriage. And on top of that, I'm getting counseling, and my pastor, who I have, my my spiritual relevance, my my foundation, if you will. You revere him. 
I revere and, and and my relationship with with the Lord. I was like, Christianity's a joke. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever said that publicly, ever. But I'm telling you, in my heart, I felt like Christianity was a joke. On top of that, <laughs> so on top of that, uh, a buddy of mine decided in 2012 we're going to go, and um, he had a, a relationship breakup. So I had a relationship breakup. I said, man, I just need it decompress i need to get away we're going to go to hawaii and skip winter skip it we meet up in vegas we go to dinner he looks over at my throat and says bro what's that lump on your throat i was like what lump he's like you got a lump on your throat so i went to the bathroom looked at it kind of saw a lump but i didn't think anything of it flew to vegas of course, my land, now I'm freaking out about it, so I go to emergency care. They give me some kind of something, said take it for 10 days. See, doesn't go away. Then I go do what's called a fine needle aspiration, FNA. And then you wait. Two days go by, I get a call from the doctor. And I can still remember, Steve, just like you are sitting there, and that's John, and I'm sitting here across the table. And that doctor gets on the phone, he says, um, hey, can I speak with Corey Boat right now? I said, yeah, it's me. He said, well, I got some news for you. And I, I crap you not, man. I said, well, I hope I don't have cancer. And he goes, I'm sorry to say you do. You have thyroid carcinoma cancer. And is it stage two? And it's very serious. And I'm sorry, whatever plans you have, but they need to be canceled. And I encourage you to go get your things in order to get this taken care of. Things in order as in like documents documents, whatever it is. He gave me a first class. Whenever that happens, you get a free first class. If you don't know, you get a first class ticket back home. And so think about this. We're skipping where, so we booked things in, in Maui, yeah. all canceled. So I feel like a f- I let my friend down. Um, I've lost tons of money cause you can't get it back. Um, on top of this, I'm gonna have to talk my, my mom off the, the freaking ledge, whichever she hears about this. So, uh, I end up going and getting surgery and I had a thyroidectomy it was the end of 2012 and uh, it was like one of the best surgeries that, that the surgeon said he'd ever had and um, but during that process I uh, had to reevaluate some things and I had this moment of regret. I'm going to share this real quick because this is the thing that changed everything on what my why is. I'm going to go back to that. It's a long answer, so just work with me. I had a had a vision or a dream that um, that uh, my my brothers called me in the middle of the night. And they said, hey, my oldest brother, Dusty, said, hey, man, don't want to don't want to um, alert you or anything, but mom died. All right. So up to that point, I've been traveling, doing all these things. My mom literally lives 
and I moved her from my hometown, Weatherford, to Oklahoma City. My mom literally lives maybe 10 miles away from me, less than that. And sometimes there'd be months, I'm proud of this man, but there'd be months that I did not go by to spend time with my mom. And uh, my excuse was, I'm too busy. Mm-hmm. Too busy. Go back to that vision. My brother says, mom died. I sit up in bed in my vision. I start shaking uncontrollably. I, I literally drop the phone. And all I could think about was regret. That's it. That's all I could think about was, I'm not going to have the opportunities to ask her the things, to talk to her things about my dad. My dad passed when I was very young, so I had a lot of conversations I want to ask her about him. And she was a Mary Kay woman and, and you know, just all these amazing things she's did. And I thought later I'm going to talk about those things. We'll have time. Right. I'm just going to do my thing now. And she's the woman's where it's like, oh, I know you're busy. No problem. No, you know, she doesn't even, she loves you. But now I don't, I don't have that opportunity, bro. And so, and it's gone and, and I have regret. So I wake up and uh, I'm like, oh my God, that was a dream. But it freaked me out so much that I called my mom. And it was like 2.30 in the morning. And uh, she picks up the phone. She's like, hello. And I said, hey, sir, why are you calling me so late? And I said, I need you to just be quiet for a second because I got something on my heart I need to tell you. She said, are you okay? I said, I'm fine. I just need you to don't say anything for a little bit. I need you to get this off my chest. She goes, you sure you're okay? I said, I'm fine. And I said, first off, I apologize for being a bad son. I've been working. I've been doing my thing. I thought it was the right thing to do. Um, but I haven't spent time with you. And I love you. I care about you. But I just have a crappy way of showing it. Like you wouldn't be able to tell in my actions. She was, I love you. You don't have to. I'm fine. You're fine. I said, just don't say anything. I said, the great news is it's never going to happen again. From now on, every Sunday that I'm in town, you and I are going to go have breakfast. We're going to go uh, to church. We're going to just drink some coffee for a few hours, and you don't have a say in it. She's like, are you sure you're okay? I said, I'm fine. Yeah. Bro, so surgery happens, um, and mom and I start spending every other every Sunday together. And uh, in the beginning, it was tough because my mom would save up a whole week worth of stuff and then just like vomit it out for the whole couple hours. So it was rough. Yeah. yeah. And then God just kind of spoke to me. He's like, it's, "This isn't about you. It's about her." Mm-hmm. So just like she repeats something or whatever, just be cool with it. Just enjoy the moment, man. Because yeah. I had a lot of regret, bro. And I'll tell you, if I get the call right now and my mom passes away, my heart would be hurt. But I have zero regret. Yeah. And there's no price you can put on that. Zero. Zero price. Um, yeah. So my why has to do with being grateful every day. As I was going through my, um, when, I, when I got through my surgery, I uh, started just to write down a reason every day to be grateful. I started posting day one, you know, I'm grateful for my, for my hands. Day two, I'm grateful for my feet. Day three, I'm grateful for my hair. 
grateful for my fingers. Um, just a reason to be grateful every day to have consistency because I was getting depressed. Because here I am speaking, making money for a living, selling things, and I can't even talk for mm. like six months. Because my irony there, you know, um, and it was it was crazy. On top of that, short sales were were changing. Oh yeah. And now a lot of the deals that we had in the hopper because of how the things were changing, were requiring these seasoning. You couldn't market it before all these different things. So I was losing deals and I was like, you know what? Why don't I just shut down the loss mitigation? Why don't I just stop doing the short sales right now and just focus on wholesales? Because that was like the low hanging fruit. And I didn't really have to go out there and speak about it or anything and you could do okay. So I started doing, I started focusing on um, just doing wholesaling. And up until when we started doing the syndication for the apartments, that's kind of the road that we've been a boring kind of wholesaling business up to that point. I don't know about boring. Uh, so that's your why. <laughs> My why is being grateful every day, bro. And, and I that's see the reason why. I want I wanted you to know that's the reason why, because I don't want to have any regrets. And I see it though, like in the posts, right? Like, gratitude day whatever and there's a number behind each one yeah and now i know why um so then on the flip side of that is what is your biggest struggle right now my biggest struggle is you know sometimes uh it's easy to see all these especially being part of collective genius you see all these amazing huge businesses and they're mm-hmm. growing and being you know and you find yourself comparing yourself to like, if I'm not Eric Brewer, I'm freaking nobody. If I'm, not Steve, Trang, alpha males. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, I'm not Steve Trang, I'm freaking nobody. Well, the good news is I'm, I'm looking at Frank Kava. We had lunch, breakfast this morning. I was like, Frank's kicking my butt. Like, I'm not Frank Kava. I'm not Frank Kava. <laughs> I'm nobody, yeah. right? Um, but I think that has to do... Uh, with basically saying like you're comparing yourself to where they want to go, but what is it that you want to go? I don't want to be McDonald's. I don't have any desire to have a hundred million dollar business. Zero desire. Some people do, but it's it's not in me. Yeah. I think uh, Jason Medley talked about this too. Where it's like if you make more than like two hundred forty thousand dollars, you can actually spend a year. You can you can pretty much do a lot of things you want unless you want to go buy a yacht or some jet or something, which mm-hmm. I, I don't care about. That was a conversation that was had on Sunday. Um, Someone was talking about buying a jet. Yeah, well, <laughs> uh, I mean it's it's cool, but like I I was at a place when I was doing that short sale business. We had a, a lot mil, million a lot of money coming in, big overhead, um, and you could do a lot of cool things. And I did a lot of cool things, but it's like. And maybe because I did some of those cool things early on, like I don't desire necessarily to do them so much now. And I really just, my struggle, I guess my struggle is, you know, I, I just don't want to, I don't want to, I want to find myself comparing myself. Just mm-hmm. because someone else is building this big business doesn't mean I, I need to. All right. Uh, and and that's, that's clarity, right? And that's a challenge for all of us, especially being alpha males. Um, what is your superpower? My superpower, I think someone that knows me would say my superpower is um, connecting and um, probably encouraging. You know, words of affirmation, words mean a lot to me. 
I believe, I believe words have power. And I just, there's a word called um, efficacy, which is powerful, because it basically means that you see something in someone else that they don't see in themselves. And I think by consulting and working with people that I've been, been able to see some of that, mm-hmm. and it's powerful to, uh, to see, to see, you know, encourage them to move towards that. Well, not to see it then, probably extracting it as well, getting them to maximize it. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, Leon has some very kind words, right? He's like, you know, when Corey's here, like you'll get additional help that you didn't, didn't even know it was coming. <laughs> um, last question. Yeah. What book have you gifted more than any other? What book have I gifted more than any other? I'd probably say uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People. So that lines up a lot with your style. I mean, I just, the book is revolutionary. Yeah. I mean, it's just an unreal book. Mirror right. matching. Uh, it's, it's just an incredible book. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So, uh, guys, if you get value today, please like, subscribe, share, comment. I asked this because that's what Yahoo, uh, YouTube and all these other algorithms want to see. Google wants to see. So if you guys enjoy it, please help me get the message out. We're trying to create 100 millionaires. Uh, last thoughts you want to leave the listeners with? Remember, you know, I wear this bracelet, um, which is grateful. And I started this thing on, on actually it's funny when we, I started posting the reason to be grateful every day. This guy uh, that had a pretty big uh, following, he saw it and started posting in his group. And we grew to like over 4,000 members in a night. It was crazy. It's called The Grateful Project. Um, but uh, last thought is, th- remember this, your worst day is someone else's paradise. Yeah. When I'm in the shower, not to picture that, but when I'm in the shower, <laughs> now you just did, I shouldn't even said it. But when I'm in the shower <laughs> and that water's running over you and if you say it over and over and over and over and over again, your worst day is someone else's paradise. My worst day is someone else's paradise. My worst. Throughout the day, all the things that come up, although they are challenges, uh, you'll just be so grateful that you have those challenges. Well, it's nothing compared to other people on the other side of the planet. We have no idea. I build clean water wells for, with charity water, and we have no idea what it's like if you were a parent to have their kid where people defecate in these little rivers and things, and your kid is thirsty. And you got to find a way to get water to your kid. And the only alternative that you have is defecated water. Or you have to put a thing on your head and bring you know food two miles because you don't have a way to bring food, nourishment. Yeah, and we're upset when the door dashes a and little. We're, we're freaking it's, it's, upset because our pizza is a little less cold. than warm. Yeah, our pizza is cold. Yeah, pizza is cold. So your worst day is someone else's paradise. Remember, gratitude. I, I really think is the. I really think that empathy and gratitude is the currency for the next generation. It's got to be, man. Yeah, it's powerful. What if someone wanted to get a hold of you? How would they do that? Yeah, so they can go, you know, type in Corey Boatwright, B O A T R I G H T, no W. For some reason, someone said there's a there's a boat ride that no W. There's no W in it. No W. Yeah. Um, and Corey C O R Y. No, yeah sorry, yeah, sorry about that, Steve. Um, if you're wanting to learn about uh, coaching, wholesaling particularly, um, you can go to Corey's coaching, C O R Y S coaching.com. 
And um, it just has a little quick video. Just ask a couple of questions if you're starting or whatever. Just ask a couple of questions, see if we're a good fit. Um, and then on uh, on Insta, we have reiprofits.com, which I'm excited about really building this this um, social media and TikTok and all the other yeah. Kong and <laughs> Pinatas and all this other stuff to see what's happening with that. I, I do think social media is going to be very, very powerful for the future, and I, I don't want to be necessarily left behind on it. And no, I enjoy it too. Don't get left behind. And if you guys want to learn about crypto, you got to be friends, <laughs> you got to be friends with Corey. That's a, that's another podcast. <laughs> you got to be friends with Corey because you're gonna learn everything you ever need to know about crypto on Corey's Facebook post. Thank you. This I is appreciate a pleasure. it. It's awesome, man. Thank you guys for watching.